0: Section 21 of The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Gantz. The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 8. Edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Mathematical Applications, Chapter 2, Chronology and Horology, Part 2. The cycle which has been perhaps most celebrated is that termed the Julian period, and was invented by Joseph Scaliger. Its object was to furnish a common language for chronologers by forming a series of years, some term of which should be fixed, and to which the various modes of reckoning might be easily applied. To accomplish this he combined three cycles of the moon, sun, and indiction, multiplying nineteen, twenty-eight, and fifteen into one another, which produces seven thousand nine hundred and eighty after which all three cycles will return in the same order, every year taking again the same number of each cycle as before. This invention would be of great importance if there was no universally acknowledged epoch, or fixed year, from which to compute, but its use is almost entirely superseded by the general adoption of the Christian era as a fixed standard. It is essential to correct and exact chronology that there should be some fixed epoch to which all events may be referred and be measured by their distance from it. It is of comparatively little consequence what the epoch is, provided it is fixed and acknowledged, as it is perfectly easy to compute in a retrograde manner the time before it, as well as in a direct manner the time after it. The Greeks for a long time had no fixed epoch, but afterwards they reckoned by Olympiads, periods of four years. These began 776 BC. The Romans often reckoned by lustrums, often by the year of the consul or emperor. The building of the city was their grand epoch, which began 753 BC. The present era began to be used about 360 AD, according to some writers, but others state that it was invented by Dionysus, a monk, about 527 AD. The Mohammedan era, or Hegira, was founded on the flight of Mohammed from Mecca to Medina, 622 AD. One of the interesting vagaries of chronological history is found in the era of the French Republic, which the revolutionists attempted to establish this was introduced in seventeen ninety three with a formal rejection of the sabbath and of the hebdominal week and a novel arrangement and pedantic nomenclature of the months the twenty-second of september was fixed as the beginning of the year the year consisted of twelve months of thirty days each which were divided not by weeks but into three decades or periods of ten days As this would comprise but 360 days, five were added at the close of the last month of the year, called complementary days, and at the close of every fourth year a sixth day was added, called the day of the Republic. The cycle of the four years was termed the Franciade. This calendar was used about twelve years. The Gregorian calendar was restored on January 1st, 1806 the mechanical instruments that have been made for the measurement of time present in themselves an interesting pictorial commentary upon the more abstract science of chronology horology the art of measuring the hours or any definite small portions of time began when man first marked the shadow of any upright object and noted its movements in relation to the apparent movement of the sun the next step came when he noted that a staff placed in the ground and pointed toward the north will always at a particular hour of the day throw a shadow in the same direction. This fact, undoubtedly observed by the Babylonians in the most ancient times, suggested the idea of the sundial. This instrument consists of two parts, the gnomon, or upright staff, or stile, usually a piece of metal, always placed parallel to the earth's axis, and therefore pointing to the north star, and the dial, another plate of metal or stone, usually horizontal, on which are marked the directions of the shadow for the several hours their halves and quarters and sometimes smaller divisions. Sundials were generally known in ancient times. It is suggested that the circular rows of stones built by the Druids were used to mark the sun's path and to indicate the times and seasons. Obelisks are also supposed by some writers to have been used for measuring sun shadows. The Greeks were perfectly acquainted with the method of making sundials with inclined styles. Small portable sundials were much prized before the introduction of watches and were provided with compasses by which they could be turned round so that the style pointed to the north. Sundials have been found in the ruins of ancient cities of Greece, in Rome, in the excavations of Pompeii and Herculaneum, and many medieval specimens are well known. The objections to a sundial are that the shadow of the style is not sufficiently well defined to give very accurate results, and that refraction, which always makes the sun appear a little too high, throws the shadow a trifle towards noon at all times. That is, the time is a little too fast in the morning and a little too slow in the afternoon. More than that, a correction is always necessary in order to find civil or clock time. The simplest form of sundial is the best, and as a regulator of clocks, the dial is good within one or two minutes. The noon mark is simply a north and south line marked on a horizontal plane, and the style is any object fixed to the dial and slanted so as to point to the north pole. On four days of the year the sun is right with the mean time, and the shadow mark may be set on those days, or on other days the noon mark may be set by consulting the table in the almanac, which shows the variation of the sun from civil time in even minutes. Thus, on October tenth, nineteen 1909, the noon mark could be made by the shadow of the style at 11.47 by the clock, and it would be right for all time to come. A device less dependent on the climactic conditions was the water clock, or clepsydra. It is said that this instrument was in use among the Chaldeans and ancient Hindus. Sextus Imperius says that the Chaldees used such a vessel for finding their astrological data, but remarks that the unequal flowing of the water and the alterations of the atmospheric temperature rendered their calculations inaccurate in this instrument the water which falls drop by drop from the orifice of one vessel into another floats a light body that marks the height of the water as it rises against a graduated scale and thus denotes the time that has elapsed as a measure of hours of the day in countries such as egypt where the hours were always equal and thus where the longer days contained more hours the water clock was very suitable but in greece and rome where the day whatever its length was always divided into twelve hours The simple water clock was as unsuitable as a modern clock would be, for it always divided the hours equally and took no account of the fact that by such a system the hours in summer were longer than in winter. In order, therefore, to make the water clock available in Greece and Italy, it became necessary to make the hours unequal and to arrange them to correspond with unequal hours in the Greek day. This plan was accomplished by placing a float upon the water in the vessel that measured the hours and on the float stood a figure made of thin copper, with a wand in its hand. This wand pointed to an unequally divided scale. A separate scale was provided for every day in the year, and these scales were mounted on a drum which revolved so as to turn round once in the year. Thus, as the figure rose each day by means of a cogwheel, it moved the drum round one division, or one three hundred and sixty-fifth part of a revolution. By this means, the scale corresponding to any particular day or winter or summer was brought opposite the wand of the figure, and thus the scale of hours was kept true. In fact, the water clock which kept true time was made by artificial means to keep untrue time in order to correspond with the unequal hours of the Greek days. One of the more complicated forms of the water clock was probably invented by Stesibus of Alexandra. In the Athenian courts, a speaker was allowed a certain number of amphorae of water for his speech, the quantity dependent on the importance of his suit. Both the simple and more elaborate forms of clepsidri were introduced into Rome in the 2nd century BC. A Chinese water clock, reputed to be over 3,000 years old, consisted of four copper jars on ascending steps, with small openings and filled every morning the purpose of the series was to obviate the irregularity in dropping which would be caused by the greater weight in the first jar at the beginning of the day the running of fine sand from one vessel into another was found to afford a still more certain measure of time so the hour-glass came into being this instrument consists of two bulbs of glass united by a narrow neck one of the bulbs is nearly filled with dry sand fine enough to run freely through the orifice in the neck and the quantity of sand is just as much as can run through the orifice in an hour if the instrument is to be really an hour-glass in a minute if a minute-glass it is said that king alfred observed the lapse of time by noting the gradual shortening of a lighted candle the pendulum is the mechanical basis of modern clocks and was first scientifically investigated by galileo in the latter half of the sixteenth century the story runs that while he was praying one day in the cathedral at pisa His attention was arrested by the motion of the great lamp, which, after being lighted, had been left swinging. Galileo proceeded to time its oscillations by the only watch in his possession, namely his own pulse. He found the times, as near as he could tell, to remain the same, even after the motion had greatly diminished. Thus was discovered the isochronism of the pendulum. Later experiments carried out by Galileo showed that the time of oscillation was independent of the mass and material of the pendulum and varied as the square root of its length. Galileo's invention did not become generally known at that time, and fifteen years later, in 1656, Christian Huygens independently invented a pendulum clock, which met with general and rapid appreciation. The honor of this invention belongs, therefore, to both Galileo and Huygens. Wheelwork had been known long before the time of Galileo, and had been skillfully applied by Archimedes. When, therefore, some sort of wheel mechanism was needed to keep the pendulum oscillating, the mechanical means were at hand. Galileo saw that if the pendulum could be kept swinging, a timepiece could be constructed which would be mathematically perfect. There must be some reservoir of force such that when a pendulum comes back and touches it, the touch shall allow some pent-up power to escape and to drive the pendulum forward. An arrangement of this kind was contrived by Galileo he provided a wheel with a number of pins around it the pendulum had an arm attached to it and there was a ratchet with a projecting arm which engaged with the pins this arrangement is called an escapement the type of escapement invented by galileo was for practical purposes full of imperfections and it was left for later inventors to modify his ideas and to improve on them until an accurate timepiece was achieved the balance wheel was invented which does the work of the pendulum and various escapements such as the crown or verge escapement the anchor and crutch escapement the dead-beat escapement and the gravity escapement have all taken their place in the development of the timepiece the prime requisite of a good escapement is that the impulse communicated to the pendulum be invariable notwithstanding any irregularity or foulness in the train of wheels The compensating balance wheel is a balance wheel whose rim is formed of two metals of different expansive powers, so arranged that the change of size of the wheel as the temperature rises or falls is compensated for by the change in position of the parts of the rim. The anchor escapement was employed in that popular and excellent timepiece used throughout the 18th and in the early part of the 19th century, and now known as the grandfather clock. In this clock the pendulum is hung from a strip of thin steel spring, which allows it to oscillate and supports it without friction. This manner of supporting pendulums is now very much in use. The watch differs from the original clock in that it has a vibrating wheel instead of a vibrating pendulum. As in a clock, gravity is always pulling the pendulum down to the bottom of its arc, but does not fix it there, because the momentum acquired during its fall from one side carries it up to an equal height on the other. So in a watch a spring, generally spiral, surrounding the axis of the balance wheel, is always pulling this towards a middle position of rest, but does not fix it there, because the momentum acquired during its approach to the middle position from either side carries it just as far past on the other side, and the spring has to begin its work again. The balance wheel at each vibration allows one tooth of the adjoining wheel to pass, as the pendulum does in a clock and the record of the beats is preserved by the wheel which follows. A main spring is used to keep up the motion of the watch instead of the weight used in a clock, and as a spring acts equally well whatever be its position, the watch keeps time although carried in the pocket or in a moving ship. In winding up a watch, one turn of the axle on which the watch is fixed is rendered equivalent by the train of wheels to about 400 turns or beats of the balance wheel, and thus the exertion during a few seconds of the hand which winds up gives motion for twenty-four or thirty hours. The laws of the mechanism of the clock can easily be understood. The experiments with the pendulum and with springs revealed certain principles which were early reduced to six, and can be stated thus. 1. A harmonic motion is one in which the accelerating force increases with the distance of the body from some fixed point. 2. Bodies moving harmonically make their swings about this point in equal times. 3. A spring of any sort or shape always has a restitutional force proportional to the displacement. 4. And therefore masses attached to springs vibrate in equal times, however large the vibration may be. 5. The bob of a pendulum oscillating backward and forward acts like a weight under the influence of a spring and is therefore isochronous. 6 the time of vibration of a pendulum is uninfluenced by changes in the weight of the bob, but is influenced by changes in the length of the pendulum rod. The time of vibration of a mass attached to a spring is influenced by changes in the mass. Early attempts were made to use a pendulum clock at sea, suspending it so as to avoid disturbance to its motion by the rocking of the ship. These proved vain. It therefore became desirable that a watch with a balance wheel should be contrived to go with a degree of accuracy in some respects comparable with the accuracy of a pendulum clock. To encourage inventors an Act of Parliament was passed in the thirteenth year of Queen Anne's reign, promising a large reward to any one who would invent a method of finding the longitude at sea true to half a degree, that is, true to thirty geographical miles. If the finding of the longitude were to be accomplished by the invention of an accurate watch, than this involved the use of a watch that should not in several months going have an error of more than two minutes or the time the earth takes to turn through half a degree of longitude this was the problem which john harrison a carpenter of yorkshire made it his life business to solve his efforts lasted over forty years but at the end he succeeded in winning the prize his instruments have been much improved by subsequent inventors and have resulted in the construction of the modern ship's chronometer a large watch about six inches in diameter, mounted on axles in a mahogany box. The marine chronometer differs from the ordinary watch in the principle of its escapement, which is so constructed that the balance is free from the wheels during the greater part of its vibration, and also in being fitted with a compensation adjustment similar to that in the balance wheels of the finer clocks and watches. The balance spring of the chronometer is helicoidal, that of the watch spiral. One of the inventions of modern times is the pneumatic clock, which is one of a series of clocks governed by pulsations of air sent at regular intervals to them through tubes at a central clock or regulator. The movement of the central clock compresses the air in the tube and causes a bellows to expand on each dial, thus moving the hands. Another recent invention is a clock without wheels or pendulum. It consists solely of two inclined plates with zigzag tracks and the clock framework supporting them. A perforated disc connected with the shaft which journals in the frame, and two ball weights suspended in each tower and connected by means of a cord to the shaft successfully furnish the motive power. These weights are raised daily. So the ingenuity of man goes on measuring this earthly element of time. Laplace said that time is to us the impression left on the memory by a series of events, and that motion and motion only can be used in measuring it. Thus it is motion, whether of the shadow on the grass, the dropping of water, or the continuous oscillations of a swinging body, which is the necessary and unvarying element in all the measurements of time. End of section 21